And now a reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning verse 21 through verse 28 from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed. Then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, the news about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. Here ends a reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Thanks be to God. Amen. Surrounded by a bipartisan array of leaders, close family members, and three former United States presidents, Joe Biden placed his hand on a family Bible January 20th and became the 46th president of the United States. Now, in the end, a presidential transition like none other in the history of our nation, went just as planned. The crowds were replaced by thousands of National Guard troops, and COVID-19-related social distancing measures were, of course, in full effect, even though an excited Garth Brooks went and hugged every living president who was there as well as their spouses. But the storm, yeah, capital S, the storm, a cataclysmic overturning of the government long predicted by right-wing conspiracy theorists, it never happened. In fact, a lot of things did not happen. Joe Biden was not unmasked to be either a lizard person or the late John F. Kennedy Jr. Tom Hanks was not arrested as a child-eating pedivore and former President Trump did not show himself to be a billion-year-old intergalactic being made of pure starlight. None of those things are true, and you can check Wikipedia yourself if you still harbor doubts. QAnon, a rapidly growing right-wing conspiracy movement, proclaimed all of these discredited prophecies, you see. Its adherents held to them and some still attempt to do so with religious zeal. Loyalty to QAnon's claims has been a common thread among those who have been arrested for the January 6th insurrection at the United States Capitol, by the way. Labeled as, quote, a dangerous extremist group by the FBI, QAnon has attracted large support in chat rooms and online communities, for that matter, 
in Christian communities. Told to, quote, trust the plan, the fringe group supporters are now struggling to make sense of the failed prophecies. I'm so scared right now, I really feel nothing is going to happen now, wrote one QAnon believer in an article I recently read. They concluded, I'm just devastated now that the stuff hasn't happened. Their vision was fueled by theories promoted by anonymous sources and has its taproots in many other failed prophecies that have long been promoted by fundamentalist evangelical Christians, including Hal Lindsey's 1970s book, The Late Great Planet Earth. No, Armageddon hasn't happened. Constitutional processes have thus far prevailed. But false prophecies? Well, they endure. You need proof? The group now has two representatives in Congress, Lauren Boebert of Colorado and Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, both won seats in the House after endorsing QAnon's vast and wild theories. It could have just as easily happened in Oklahoma. The authority of these types of religious and political claims should always be scrutinized and questioned and were found to be false, debunked, and disowned, especially by those of us who consider ourselves to be people of good faith. There are lots of different kinds of authority with which people operate. Doctors have the authority of their education. Elected officials have the authority of their office. Authority can be unquestionable, or it can be simply used to try and influence a group toward a common decision. But here's the thing I think the story we read a moment ago in Mark's Gospel points out and that I want us to really latch on to today. No matter the level, authority can also be abused or it can be used in order to benefit the common good. Authority can either be abused or it can be used in order to benefit the common good. It's no accident that the author of Mark's Gospel set this scene we read a moment ago at the temple. It was in the temple in order to illustrate, in contrast, the authority of the scribes versus the authority of Jesus. The scribes, you see, used their authority to teach the truths of their tradition. Now, this is really, really important. The scribes were not bad people. They were upstanding, outstanding people. They had an excellent grasp in general on what their holy texts said, and they taught those truths. Those are commendable things. But the reason Mark says that Jesus taught, quote, as one with authority, is better understood by looking to the original language of this verse. In the Greek language, this word authority, we see by looking a little closer that this kind of authority the author is talking about is based on an honor that can only be earned not through theoretical teaching, but through social interaction. In other words, people 
apparently, already knew that Jesus acted with compassion and a deep commitment to the common good, not just his own position in the world. And so, when he taught, his faithful actions gave his teaching an even more profound authority for those who were listening. You might say it this way today. He walked the talk. And the author of Mark wants us, I believe, to hang on to this picture of Jesus using his authority for the common good to teach and not only to teach, but to heal. And this scene is positioned almost as the thesis of this gospel. But preacher, the story includes demons. I mean, Demons, David, how can any self-respecting, thinking, intellectual, 21st century person of faith take this story seriously? I hear you. I hear your questions. I hear your doubts and skepticism, and I say good on you. And yes, if you read it in a certain sense, it might sound on par with QAnon if we're talking about 21st century people. But friends, we aren't talking about 21st century people. Now, careful. That doesn't mean 21st century people are smarter. It just means we have a different set of tools through which to interpret the universe. But Bible study method 101 demands that anyone serious about getting at the meaning of the scripture hold off on our own biases for a few moments and try to learn the deeper meaning of what these demons must have represented to the original audience of the first century of these people who were seeing this happen or who were telling the story for a greater purpose. These demons in this time period, first century or so, they were the result, in their minds, of sickness or sin, or sometimes these sicknesses and sins were done by the part of the parents of the one who was possessed, sometimes these sins or sicknesses uh, had been caught or performed by the ones who are demon-possessed. And those who were afflicted, they were treated as complete trash by society at large. Utter failures, complete outcasts. It was just assumed, if you saw someone who, and folks were saying they were demon-possessed, that they were getting what they deserved for believing something or doing something really stupid or really bad or really evil. And much like those with physical challenges or illness, the blind, the lame, the sick, these folks were pariah, outcasts. They were treated like garbage. But what did Jesus do? He stepped right over that social barrier and all the stigmas when he saw the demon-possessed person. He addressed the demons, and in so doing, he challenged the system of religion that had been allowed, or that had been allowing, rather, the afflicted person to remain in torment. This is still our blessed assurance, dear ones, that there is nothing that cannot be healed and restored when courageous, compassionate people are compelled to step across the social barriers that we ourselves create between one another and address 
the causes of the pain and suffering in our neighbors' lives and are willing to go a step further and challenge the systems and practices that allowed it all to exist in the first place and left our neighbors suffering or miserable. Now our temptation when these things come along in more modern, understandable, contemporary forms is to act like the rest of the world acts. It's to step over our neighbor who's fighting a set of demons all their own and thus to allow the status quo to continue. You know what I mean. We stay in our own lane. We stay in our own bubble, our own comfort zone, because there we have people ah, that are more comfortable to to deal with and who look and act and, well, think mostly like we do. But I wonder what would have happened to the vast array of conspiracy theorists, those who bought into QAnon and election fraud and, and all the like, if instead of ignoring or just allowing our discomfort to keep us separated from them, we refuse to otherize them. Yeah, I said otherize. Because most often, they're members of our own family, or they're somehow connected to us in life through some relationship, be it a friend of a friend or a friend we used to run with or neighbors. People get immersed in these types of Demons. Yes, I said demons. I said demons because anything that takes on a life of its own, actively working against the truth as well as the well-being of a, a human being and the moral fabric of our society, it's demonic. Anything that causes people to become fixated on lies and fantasy in order to advance their own very self-driven, narrow agenda, well, it's demonic. It brings hell on earth, not the kingdom of God to earth, in order to advance falsehoods and stories that divide people from the truth and divide people from one another. Now, it's easier to hide from confrontations with these kind of demons than it is to love our neighbor enough to get involved. While we may not always have the opportunity to get involved, or to offer healing or hope by speaking the truth in love. The good news of the gospel assures us that if we are prepared, we will eventually have the opportunity to do something kind of like what Jesus did, if we're willing to step across the social barriers that separate us, which we have all created, to address the pain and to confront the systems that have caused all the pain. Now, I should say at this point that not every demon has the same name. Some running around these days do indeed, the demon, do go by the name conspiracy theory. But I see plenty who have been harmed by majority religious establishments running around fighting demons called something more like unlovable. And the majority religious establishment known as evangelical Christianity in our country for far too long has taken the scriptures and twisted them to otherize those people who happen to express their sexuality or gender in ways that do not fit their brand. Or there are those who for various reasons do not fit the impossible purity codes and standards that have been lifted up 
by evangelical Christianity as God's expectations in those religious circles, but are, in fact, human-constructed codes to keep others out so that those left on the inside feel morally superior. That is not the gospel. The gospel is either good news for all people, or we are not talking about the same gospel at all, but something demonic. The gospel, as embodied by Jesus of Nazareth and illustrated by Mark in our story today, calls us to step across the social barriers, to name the demons, and to challenge the systems that perpetuate the pain and suffering we so often see all around us. There is no place in this recipe for healing and wholeness, listen, for snobby, intellectual, religious elitists who profess superiority in our religion, or in our reasoning, or in our politics, or in our sources for news. There is far too much pain and suffering in the world for elitism. There are too many lies to be confronted with the truth. There is no time for arrogance and no space for staying in our bubbles. If we want to make a positive difference, that is. Dear Church, we have already seen the power of inclusion in our own faith communities. When we live it, and when we embody inclusion, and when others have included us, loved us, despite our own imperfections, and yeah, if you want to just put it this way, despite our own demons, we have felt what it is to be loved and to be welcomed into our faith community. And quite honestly, it's life-changing. But some of us that are here already still battle demons. So we shouldn't be so darn arrogant. We carry the demon of having been abused by a parent, a teacher, a relative, a spouse, or someone else. And when we are tired and when we get down, those demons whisper in our ear, even today, you're not worthy, you're not deserving, you are not enough, you're unlovable, you're less than, you're just weird and different. Some of us still battle the demons of being rejected by a church because of who we are or who we love. Others of us battle depression, talk about a demon. It lies to us, and when we're low enough, we begin to listen to its voice. But the good news of the gospel is not that we need to have our act 100% together before we can make a positive impact and bring healing and wholeness to someone else in this world and to challenge the systems that perpetuate all the pain and suffering. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus calls imperfect people, imperfect disciples, and that includes us, to refuse to stay in our comfort zones with others who are just like us, and to go ahead and have the courage to step across the lines when we see someone battling their demons, to name those demons, all the while loving our neighbor, and to rely on one another, this community, to help find the wisdom as to how best challenge the systems that perpetuate the pain. 
we will always be tempted to say the right things with our mouths from inside the comfort of our own homes, in our own social circles, in our own safety nets. But when we are willing to put action to our words, to put feet to our prayers, to step out there, to name the demons, and challenge the systems at work and do it together, friends, that's where we find moral authority that comes from integrity, our walk and our talk matching. And that becomes life-changing, not only for us, but for our neighbors and the world. Moral authority is only materialized when we live in truth, when we love our neighbor with the truth and challenge the systems that perpetuate the lies with the vision of the truth and how things should be. There are pastors and churches, yes, I said pastors and churches, that need to be challenged, called on the carpet, just as Jesus challenged the religious majority for what they were teaching. There are news outlets and sources of information that need to be challenged for spreading their misinformation and lies. There are probably laws that need to be revised or written about truthfulness and accountability with this freedom of speech we so often celebrate in our country. There are politicians who need to be challenged for playing their part in deception. And there are people, by the way, all alongside the edges of this life's journey who are fighting these and other demons for their very lives. God has already been raising us up, friends, filling us with compassion, teaching us courage, preparing us for such a time as this. So, dear children of God, we must wake up and remember we have been entrusted with a message of love and healing and wholeness, one that proclaims the equality and dignity of every person. Let us live this message as it was intended and love those wrestling with demons or not, but especially the nastiest, most off-putting demon-possessed neighbors that tend to keep us away because we're fearful. Let us love them and ourselves enough to step out of our comfort zones and cross the social barriers, to name the demons, to point to the truth, and together, friends, as a community, let us continue to challenge the systems that perpetuate the pain, the injustice, the misinformation, and the suffering. We can do this if we do it together and with God's help. Yes, we can. The demons are already getting nervous. Truth and love are on the way together with love in our hearts and truth on our lips, here we come. And we bring with us the authority that can only come from a love that seeks the common good. Thanks be to God for this holy love that compels us to action. Amen.